Blog Talk Radio. show podcast and this is your host Brian Perkins. Uh, today we have with us Joshua Friedman who is the CEO of Six Seconds, an organization that uh, specializes in emotional intelligence training and um, organizational um, improvement. And so welcome Josh. How are you doing? I'm doing good Brian. Thank you for having me. Well, I, I'm excited to have you for a number of reasons. We've we've had um, countless people on, particularly in the last year, that have been talking about the number one topic on in kind of in every household right now is COVID nineteen, and um, and I've had a number of people on the show that have given predictions about the future. Um, But I'd like to start, um, we're going to get around to some of that um, in your area, but I'd like to start with, uh, tell us a little bit first about your organization, Six Seconds, and then I'd like to hear a little bit about, so how that connects to what emotional intelligence is and why you're doing this work. Well, we started Six Seconds in 1997 after Daniel Goleman wrote about our methodology for how to teach emotional intelligence. He described it as one of the two models that he'd found of how you can actually develop these skills. And so we started getting a lot of inquiries when his book took off. And so we decided to create the organization to really answer that question. And now we work in over 200 countries and territories. We have eight different psychometric uh, tools that we publish, hundreds of hours of curriculum, training, and we work all over the world in every sector, primarily in the space of leadership, but more broadly in helping people be better with people. Excellent. Thank you. And so um, tell me a little bit about what are some of the things that you do. I know that when you say you work with different organizations and and, uh, you're doing training, what, what would the typical training look like? Well, we used to do a lot more programs directly with organizations. Um, nowadays, most of our work is with people who work with or, people. So uh, we do a lot of certification training, teaching people how to use emotional intelligence in coaching and facilitation and consulting with organizations. Um, we do a, a few projects um, mm, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this one, but with some big, uh, you know, big UN agencies and, uh, you know, we have still have an ongoing project with FedEx and with Qatar Airways. And in those places, it's really about how do you use emotions as a resource and kind of get out of this ridiculous idea that, oh, let's just leave emotions out of it because just that's not how people work. <laughs> and actually work with emotions 
and figure yeah. out how to actually engage people uh, effectively. So, so it sounds like I hear you saying that it is actually counterproductive to ignore emotions. We're emotional creatures. But what do you what do you say to the people who say things like you can't be objective if you bring emotions into your decision making? <laughs> I say. Uh, you know, you you are right. We cannot be objective uh, if we are um, if we're not super careful. And pretending that reality is different than it is is not the way to be objective. You know, I get a lot of a lot of times this comment like, you know, oh well, we have to be rational. Okay, well, if you want to be rational, let's start by looking at how the brain actually works. Let's look mm-hmm. at what actually drives people. And, and recognize that emotions are coloring every thought that we have. They're part of every decision we make. And so we can be stupid about that, which, you know, most of us, so, what we learned, just pretend it's not there. Or we can be smart with it. Yeah, yeah. And and so, I mean, I'm impressed by your, um, you know, your, your client list. And um, and I know you say you're working with people who are working with people, and so you are working with groups. I would imagine human resources, organizational talent, um, comp- uh, portions of companies. Um, what do you think? Was it was it Goldman's book that made people um, more aware of this notion that you can develop yourself? emotionally um I, I guess what i'm i'm really curious about is what sparked companies like airline companies and 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 software companies armed services to be thinking about we need to train people in the emotional sphere with the just the brain research what what sparked that well i think a lot of it is increased complexity uh, the pace of change, um, the fact that old systems aren't working that well. Um, so, I mean, for example, we worked with the U.S. Marine Corps and Navy uh, and Coast Guard, and the project was really about how do we be better as change agents, recognizing that there's a rapid and complex pace of change. We have an incredibly um, diverse and changing workforce in a diverse and changing context. And the old command and control uh, mythology uh, isn't producing the kind of engagement we need. You know, And we say to people, okay, you have to change. And they say, yes, sir, and then they don't change. So like, that's not working anymore. Uh, we need to find some new strategies. Mm-hmm. And, and do you find that there's one group over others, meaning um, is it service industry um, that that is mostly involved in this, certain areas? And, and I'm, I'm just asking because I just wonder, uh, some years ago I was uh, contacted by uh, um, one of the top medical schools in the country uh, asked me to come and around uh, strength, strength training. Mm-hmm. Um, for their physician trainees. And what they say they had discovered was that there were people who 
really didn't know much about who they were. And one of the one of the areas they decided to kind of in positive psychology to work with them around recognizing what they were good at and how to improve there. Um, And I just thought it was fascinating because we just don't typically think about it as, you know, in medicine or a number of other disciplines where um, people are saying that these should be made a part of the preparation programs. I think, I mean, it makes perfect sense when you, when you really get down and think about it, but um, there are others like, the service industry, they've been doing this for a very long time, um, asking people to connect emotionally to their clients and, and anticipate their clients' needs. Um, but I, my question is more about who, who seems to be more open to this, or is there any pattern to that? I, <laughs> there's a lot of really interesting things in what you just brought up. One, I think, in that professional services space is that we're seeing in many fields a dramatic increase in complexity uh, and at the same time a dramatic increase in the demand for collaboration. So, for example, um, I'm near Silicon Valley, and we've worked with a number of the big tech companies, and one of the things that they have said to me at you know places like Amazon is, we used to look for rock star coders, and we thought that's mm. what produced value. And now we realize that what we're trying to do in our business, an individual, no matter how brilliant, that individual can't accomplish that by themselves. Mm-hmm. So, you know, bioengineering is another space where we can see that just dramatic change and increase in complexity. I, I would say, you know, in so many spaces the demand for collaboration has increased and the need to communicate across boundaries has increased. So a lot of a lot of our projects are like companies that have a lot of global complexity or uh, I think I hate to say this but I think a lot of companies where they know they're bad at this. So, you know, we've done a lot of work in technology and in you know, military and in finance. Um, or places like the UN, where, you know, it's like hospitality, we do some work with them, but as you said, they've been working on this for a long time, and they think, oh, well, we already know a lot about this. But in the other spaces where they're just like, ah, help, we we need some solutions. And that's that's that we can really help them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I know uh, one of your uh, recent books, an international bestseller, At the Heart of Leadership, uh, speaks to that. Tell us a little bit about um, that. I know there will be a number of people who will probably uh, want to add that to their libraries. Tell us to kind of give some people who may not have uh, read it a sneak peek into At the Heart of Leadership. Well, it, it actually started, <laughs> interestingly enough, um, from one of our colleagues in China saying to me, we need you to write a book. <laughs> and I said, no, I don't want to write a book. And they're like, no, we need something that really articulates the connection between emotional intelligence and leadership. And what, it, what the book really does is it lays out first the business case and the factors that we've just been discussing. Um, 
and why that's driving a greater need for emotional intelligence. But the, the focus of the book is really on strategies for engaging your own and others' emotions more effectively. And mm-hmm. uh, just trying to keep it you know, pretty light and easy to read, but also getting into some of the neuroscience and practicalities of this. I think there's a lot of books out there about em- emotional intelligence and emotions, and obviously a zillion books about leadership. They are often, I don't know, overly complex. And so trying uh-huh. to something people could just access. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, you've mentioned at least two or three times in this conversation uh, neuroscience. I mean, it's pretty complex. It's pretty complex stuff. Uh, but maybe you could give us uh, a primer by telling us, so what do you mean the neuroscience of emotions? What is it that's happening in the brain that, just as an example, that would make us need to consider that when mm-hmm. we are in leadership roles? What, what, what might be uh, a good place to be aware of, of the neuroscience and, and in anticipation of the decisions you might make or how you interact with other members of your team, how you uh, engage with clients or, or with uh, customers, what, what's going on in the brain? What's going on there? So emotions have a primacy in the brain. They're part of our survival system. And so basically when people are having emotional experiences, which is you know, all the time, but sometimes they're a little more mild, the brain that 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 activates areas of the brain that then recruits other areas of the brain to help cope with the opportunity and threat that we're perceiving. And mm-hmm. fundamentally, mm-hmm. what emotions are messages from you to you saying, "Hey, Brian, something's happening here." Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean, "Oh, okay, I've got to obey that feeling." Mm-hmm. But if you ignore it, what happens is it usually gets louder and recruits more and more of your brain to say, hey, there's something we've got to pay attention to. Um, mm-hmm. The reason we're called six seconds is that uh, emotions are actually neurohormones that last in the brain and body for around six seconds. Mm. And they're actually affecting every living cell in the human body. Mm. So if you think about, like, you're walking down, well, back in the old days when we used to walk down the hall to a meeting, I guess you're walking to your computer to get on Zoom, you know, and you've just had this interaction. It's affecting you. And that, you know, if that effect is happening unconsciously, the risk is that you walk into that next meeting and you're communicating something different than what you really mean to communicate. Mm-hmm. And because emotions have this primacy in the brain, they're, as I said, they're part of our survival system, what happens is you come in that meeting and you're sending this emotional message and you, you know, you're not aware of it, um, but other people are. Mm-hmm. And so then you start to have a loss of trust or you have to start to have miscommunication uh, simply because it's, it's like, you know, you're you've got this this filter between you know between you and the other person that 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 you're pretending isn't there but they can see it clearly yes yes absolutely 
For those of you who have just joined us, you've reached the Perkins platform, and we are talking to Joshua Friedman, who is the CEO of Six Seconds, an international uh, organization that focuses on emotion uh, training, emotional intelligence training. And uh, we're just having a great conversation about uh, their work. Um, Joshua, uh, oh, and if there's anyone out there interested in calling in and uh, asking Joshua a question, please feel free to do so. You can call in at 657-383-1481. Again, 657-383-1481. You know, Joshua, we've probably all been in these situations where we are, we might be in a meeting and someone um, becomes emotional for one reason or another. And I know for me, uh, historically, um, not more recently, because I've, I've also engaged in training and emotional intelligence and become more aware and more um, cognizant of, of how important it is to accept where people are when they come in emotionally um, but we've probably all been there and seen someone um, uh, react to something. And um, before, I, I would be uh, and look around the room and see so many people look uncomfortable. And in some cases, other people, and I remember even on a few occasions, uh, there might be these side conversations out of, after the meeting, and people would say, was so embarrassed for him, or I was so embarrassed for her. I, I, what do you, what do you, where I should say, do you think that originated? What, what made us, how did we get so twisted, so to speak, in society that we're expressing emotions was not acceptable or, or seen as something negative? Yeah. I mean, it goes way back. There's a, uh can't remember who said it, but uh, an ancient Greek philosopher was like, control your emotions lest they control you. Um, Mm -hmm. On the other hand, Aristotle issued uh, the challenge, which is, uh, goes something like, to be angry is easy. What's difficult to be angry in the right way for the right reason, in the right measure, and to the right person. Um, So I think this is an old, old debate. Mm-hmm. It is interesting how much of this is actually rooted in patriarchy and colonialism and racism. Uh, when you disconnect people from themselves, it's easier to disconnect people from each other. Mm. When you create a zero-sum game thinking and you say, like, there's some people who are going to have it and there are other people who are going to be subjugated – you better be on my team. We have the guns. You know, you create this division that's based on a particular form of power. Now, that, mm-hmm. that's a real form of power, but it's a particular yeah, yeah. form of power that has consequences, uh, has, you know, maybe unintended consequences in terms of mm-hmm. building collaboration and connection. So sure. I think it goes way back and, and you know, probably our great, 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 great grandparents were like, you know, do we cooperate or do we fight, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, there's a certain view of, of toughness that, um, you know, is rooted in that, in, in that history. But sure, sure. I, I think maybe we're in a different time. Yeah, sure. And, and for 
a number of us, <laughs> those greats don't go back so far. You know, and it's not uh, not so long ago where um, that uh, that real subjugation occurred. And I know from from uh, an emotional perspective, it it was it served some people very well uh, to convince people to be. Uh, without emotion um, and and despite the hurt and pain um, to be required to do uh, to perform and 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 appear at least happy, uh, yeah. which brings me to you know when I think about uh, I've been in countless classrooms over the years um, all over the world and and I, I think there's something very consistent about what I see from even a very early age among um, teachers. And I think that's why we are, I know that at my university, we are changing the way our leaders see emotional um, expression in schools. But I, I think about in, in a number of cases where there might be a small child or even a, uh, an older child who would, would might cry and and I would hear a teacher say, uh, "Don't be sad." Um, and and I would then question, "What? Why would you tell the child not to be sad, especially not understanding why?" You know that that it is a part of the range of human emotions, and and so there are. There are times and places where children are happy and sad and excited and anxious and and so it is is something that we we really need to pay attention to, uh, especially in in development. Which leads me to my my question is: So we're working on adults. I mean, you're working with adults, um, which it seems like this would be so much easier if we were at the other end of this, right? And it would be so much easier if we were working with children in that way. And it seems like a lot of districts are doing that. Um, but what do, you, what do you think about, you know, this idea, and even, even among adults, um, where someone might come to work um, and, and not be emotionally uh, feeling as, as well as they normally are? What, what do you... What do you suggest that our approach is to that? Well, first of all, I think that we are seeing a real change in this in the United States and globally. Um, <clears throat> Six Seconds is involved as a partner with UNICEF in the world's largest social-emotional learning project, which spans 200 countries, starting to raise awareness of how kids and parents and educators can actually start to have more of these conversations how we can actually listen to ourselves and one another. And one of the things that's been fascinating to me is I've heard over and over and over from parents who've started to participate in these activities saying, I didn't, I've never had this kind of conversation with my kid or with kids. And it was incredible to just listen to them and hear them talk about emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the first step is we need to move away from this um, notion of positive and negative feelings and, like, if you're not happy, there's something wrong with you. Right. And say, you know, feelings are data. 
um, if people are frustrated, if people are scared, you know, this year, I think we've all learned some big lessons about uncertainty and fear and loneliness and uh, powerlessness, and those are tough, tough lessons uh, and valuable for us to learn about. So first is acknowledging what is. Okay, there's something happening here, and it's not positive or negative. It's maybe framing it as there's some there's a big feeling is a message of a big opportunity or a big threat. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. whether that's a child or an adult, that person is perceiving something. And if they're having big feelings, they're perceiving something big. So can we tune into that and help ourselves and them understand what it is that they're seeing as an opportunity mm-hmm. and threat? And you know, it may be that they're misunderstanding a situation or it may be you know, something that they're seeing as a threat isn't. But if we go into the knee-jerk, you know, don't cry, I'll give you something to cry about, uh, then we're never going to get that message and we're never going to be able to have the conversation. Sure, sure. And all of those things really important um, wherever you are in the, uh, you know, in an organization, in schools, relationships. Uh, one of my mentors used to always say there are only three things that matter in school. And I think I would extend that to include in any organization, three things matter. And he'd say relationships, relationships, relationships. Mm. And I think that um, in, entwined in that is a, uh, a, a, a real understanding that um, it's really complex the connection that human beings have one to another. And, um, you know, which, which leads me to, uh, I want to hear you tell us a little bit about what, what you think. I mean, we've talked a lot about just generally the importance of recognizing emotions and uh, how does that benefit someone who's a leader though? How, how does it make them a better leader to be, uh, emotionally in or emotionally intelligent? Well, I think it probably requires stepping, taking a small back, step back to say what is leadership. And mm-hmm. there is a version of an answer which is like, I push buttons, I move widgets, I play with spreadsheets. And probably... Emotional intelligence has a relatively limited, it's important, but it's a relatively limited value if that's what you mean by leadership. However, in most organizations, the the job description, literally if you look at the job description of of people in a leadership role, what it's going to say is about building team, building trust, building coalition, getting people on board, enrolling people in vision, helping people solve problems that they can't solve by themselves. In other words, as one of my um, old friends from the FedEx Leadership University said, leadership is a people business. It's, uh, in other words, it's not about the widgets. It's not about the tasks. And I think we get confused. And you know, a lot of us, including me and, and maybe you, you, I'm not sure, Brian, came into leadership because we were good at tasks, and, uh, you know, I, I never got trained to be a CEO. CEO. Uh, I just, I was good at my job, and so I kept getting promoted. 
and you know mostly I was good at uh, the kind of practical sides of it. You know, mm-hmm. Fortunately, I got some training in emotional intelligence, but um, that you know, as you get promoted, your job becomes less and less about task. And I mean, we were talking about schools as an example. Like, let's take something like instructional design. You know, can you write a good lesson? You know, by the time you become a school principal or, you know, certainly a superintendent, nobody cares if you can write a good lesson. Sure, it's sure. not your job anymore. Right, right. Your job is all about people. Mm-hmm. No, that's people, an excellent point. And people are driven by emotions. Mm-hmm. You know, that's mm-hmm. what we say is emotions drive people, people drive performance. Sure, sure. Well, Joshua, it's been great talking to you. You know, I... I have one final question as we wrap up, and I'm sure a number of people have probably gone to your LinkedIn or um, your website at Six Seconds to see more about what you you do. Um, I know that you are the uh, principal uh, investigator on uh, a a very large study on emotional intelligence called State of the Heart. Tell us a little bit um, about that study and if you have any preliminary information um, that you've uh, you've learned? Well, we just started looking at the data from this year to (laughs) at this moment. What I have is a lot of curiosity and mystery. We were wondering, you know, how did people's emotional intelligence and well-being change during COVID? And I'll tell you one surprising thing that we're trying to understand right now is that in like uh, many parts of the world, in June and July, well-being spiked up above last year's average. And I was shocked by that. And I was mm. just wondering, you know, how much of that is like, you know, we had, we had a lull in the disease. We were still dealing with a lot of challenges. But all of a sudden, maybe people started saying, wow, I, I really, like, it's good to get outside. It's good to connect with each other and appreciating that more. Um, But the Mm. study, we'll be releasing some of that data um, toward the end of the month and and early in January. Uh, And then all year next year, we'll be continuing to examine the data. But one of the key findings has been that over the last 10 years, a number of aspects of emotional intelligence have declined. Now, our last report was a randomized sample from 126 countries. So it's a very widespread finding. Empathy mm-hmm. is the biggest loser. Wow. Wow. <laughs> you know, as we think about okay. like what the headlines, I think we can all see it. But yeah. uh, that to me is a very big concern. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. And Joshua, thanks. I know you're very busy. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule. And uh, for those of you listening, I uh, hope you've enjoyed um, talking and listening to me talk to Joshua, uh, about the case for emotional intelligence, not just in school leadership, but in leadership in our lives all around. Um, uh, We have uh, our next broadcast is on um, December 30th. We have Valerie Alexander, who's going to talk to us about how to outsmart your own unconscious biases. Um, And so she's done a TED Talk um, and has um, been a a big 
speaker with just as Joshua with a number of uh, Fortune 500 companies and think it's going to be a great conversation. So join us at noon Eastern time on uh, December 30th. Um, Joshua, again, thank you so much. And um, I'm wishing you the best in the new year and I'm looking forward to working with you again. And so for those of you who joined us uh, for the first time, thank you for joining us. Hope we'll, we'll see you back here soon. And for next time, go well, stay well. Take care, thank everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye.